Hello and a big warm welcome to you. My name is Marion Rose, PhD, and I am so delighted to be having the fourth conversation in this Aware Parenting and Homeschooling series with Steph Leeton, who is another Aware Parenting instructor. So welcome, Steph. I'm so glad that you're here. Well, thank you so much for having me again. I really enjoyed our conversation last year, so this is exciting for me. <laughs> Yay. And yes, if people want to go and listen to that afterwards, we, the, we had an Aware Parenting series back then and you were, we had that conversation there. So I love that. So yes, if anyone wants to go back, you can find that in the same, the same podcast. So yes. Okay. So I started off uh, asking the other folk and I'd love to ask you too um, about your introduction to aware parenting how you found it what you loved about it what was your what yeah what happened what was it like um well I found out aware parenting um from you in the calm birth book you wrote um an essay in one of the appendix um sections and I think I was I don't know like 30 something weeks pregnant so it was before I'd had kids and um I just remember flicking through to the back and reading it and like it got me by the first paragraph and then I was really excited so I started telling my husband that and he was like hooked by the first paragraph too so we're like on the same page from the very beginning and it just really resonated with us and made like it made sense um and so I love that stuff. And can I, if I interrupt you, do you remember what it was like that first paragraph or what it was that you both went, Oh yes. I, I don't know. It was more like a feeling. It was a feeling like when, I don't know, you get this, I don't know, lightning bolt when something like just falls into place. It, it was just that feeling like, because for years I was had this idea in my head, how I would parent. And that was the first time I'd come across something that kind of was even better than that like written on paper and so yeah I guess it was more of a feeling it was just you know um trusting yourself and trusting your children and trusting a baby and that they have this you know healing mechanism as all humans do and everything about it just made sense to both of us um, so yeah, and then I went and ordered all of Aletha's books that had been published by that time. Cause it was back in 2013. So it was before she did her attachment playbook. So it was the other books before that. Yeah. Um, and they didn't arrive though until after I'd had, um, Kynan. So the first couple of weeks I was just trying to go by what you had on your website, which was, you know, there was enough there. I'd ac I actually printed off like lots of your articles. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, then I was reading the Aware Baby why I would like breastfeed Kynan and stuff at night. And so we really did the um, whole, you know, acceptance of his emotions and all that sort of stuff from the very beginning. Um, we were a bit unsure about the different cries and things like that, but we soon learned pretty quickly you know, when he was crying because he had a physical need, like he was hungry or he needed a nappy change or something like that. And, or when it was like, you know, emotional, like he had all this stress and trauma from, you know, when he was born. Um, so yeah, he, sometimes he would cry for two to three hours. Um, but we just tell I also want to say, Stefan, because I know we just know that always means in, in loving arms, but I, I, you know, I um, just want to say, in case anyone's new to aware parenting, this is about crying in arms. It's always about being with the baby. So I, sorry to interrupt, but it's always so important because we just take that for granted that everyone's yes. like, of course, you know that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you for the clarification. Yes. Um, we always held Kynan in our arms and we say you know you're safe and we love you and it's okay to cry and we're listening um and you know because he would cry for so long sometimes we'd take shifts so you know um if like my arm was getting sore because you do get sore sitting there for that long then you know my husband would take in and then take over and then he'd listen so kind of always had his emotions listened to and then um yeah, and then we just did it for our second, who was born three and a half years later. But he was a very different baby. He he hardly ever cried, actually. Um, so that was, like, really different. But we, um, because we'd had so much practice with Kynan, 
um, with awe and it was just um, like natural. Like we didn't even really need long to learn his different cues. It kind of happened like while we were still at hospital really. And I think it was because he was a different baby. Like he didn't cry as much. He was just, I don't know, a lot more aware and a lot more um, he could process things a lot quicker, I guess. Kynan's quite a bit more sensitive to, you know, external um, stimulation and feeling overwhelmed. So he generally has more emotions and stuff to process and release than his brother does. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I think that's such a helpful thing to be sharing here too, that Mm. uh, the babies who are more sensitive are more affected by things and thus they have more feelings to express and they will, you know, if, if supported too, they will do more crying in arms and, of course, what they've experienced, like during their birth, if that's been more stressful or traumatic, that they'll, they'll obviously have more feelings too. So I really love that you brought that up, that mm. every baby's going to be so different in terms of their sensitivity and, and the experiences that they've had. And, you know, us, you know, we're often so different, aren't we, with each child and the family system can change so much. And yeah. our, our confidence in being with babies and being with feelings. So mm. yeah, I love that you mentioned that. Oh. <laughs> yeah and the other thing i'd love to ask is you know the fact that you so you had that immediate resonance and that yesness and then when you started are there things that happened that gave you a deep sense of reassurance that this that really was helping him not only the crime but you know all the other elements of aware parenting did you did you have moments like that where you were like oh yes this is yeah, like, I mean, when we would hold him in our arms while he cried to release all these big feelings, afterwards he would just be so relaxed and, you know, um, and he'd just go to sleep so much easier and he'd sleep for long periods of time, you know, like overnight. He wasn't, like, constantly waking up overnight and because I knew exactly when he needed to be fed because, you know, his hunger cries were different. So... Um, he just uh, adapted a lot better um, to things just going on around him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so helpful, isn't it, to see those the those clear signs that it's a really helpful thing for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So how did it go? Uh, had, so then you had two, and anything else that you want to share? about your aware parenting journey and in terms of what you've what you what do you still love about it like you became an aware parenting instructor so what tell me more about what you love about it so much well I love how it really honors you know your feelings because I think in today's society we focus too much on physical and mental aspects you know with academics and sport performance and physical growth and all that and while that all all that stuff is important um you know emotions are kind of like a missing component that's like not evident enough um in society and so i really liked how you know you nurture a child's emotions and you accept their emotions that they're neither good nor bad it's just what you're feeling in that moment yeah Um, so important isn't it to add to that as you say the mind and the body and feelings it's so important and so undervalued mm. in our culture so yeah that. and so i really love that aspect of aware parenting um because i do have a degree in psychology so it made sense to me you know a lot of people who have had traumatic upbringings that's when they have issues later on because they're not allowed to express them that you know their feelings are invalidated um and so you know, it just made sense to me that you validate and accept your children's feelings and then, you know, hopefully they don't have all this baggage, you know, when they do leave home and go out into the world themselves. Yes. Yeah, yummy. So uh, as well, having a degree in psychology, when you when you were practising aware parenting in those early days as well, were there things that you were remembering back from your degree or, you know, were, were there links that you were that you're often kind of thinking of things that you maybe have been taught that were different to once you were practicing? Um, It was so long ago. And I remember halfway through my degree, I was like, I don't want to be a psychologist because I didn't like how they labeled everything like with the BSM manual and all that sort of stuff. It wasn't a holistic approach. Like I was hoping for, Um, but I do remember I, my favorite, 
um, subjects were always developmental psychology. I really loved those ones and, you know, um, learning about Piaget and Erickson and, you know, Maslow. And um, so I don't know, to me, Aletha just took it to, you know, a whole other level that hadn't been considered before. And I really liked that because it kind of added on to what had been done previously with just like an element that, um, just really, I think, helps parents and educators and teachers understand kids better. Um, and that way, you know, you can, when you understand something better, um, you can offer more support and more empathy and really help children on a deeper level. Yes, I love that. And I love that uh, resonance that I feel with you also having done a psychology degree, also loving developmental psychology, also deciding not to be a clinical psychologist because I didn't like the, the uh, well, you know, I remember also as, the, as the, uh, back in those days, you didn't, as a clinical psychologist, you didn't need to do any of your own inner work. And even at the age of, you know, late teens, I was like, no, I really need to really need to do my own inner work if I'm going to be helping people. So mm-hmm. I love those um, resonances there too. Mm. Um, so how about homeschooling? What happened there? What was your journey? How did your journey begin? Um, well, I actually decided to homeschool my kids before I even had kids. Oh, did you? Yay! Yeah, I did. Um, I it was probably a combination of my experience at school, I was very shy and quiet and the school environment is more suited to extroverts. You know, you're told you have to do these speeches and presentations in front of people. And I remember even in like preschool, um, the teachers, you know, went from telling my parents that I was like the best child. And this was even in primary school too. And then a few weeks later, them approaching my parents again saying oh there's something wrong with your daughter she's too quiet and yeah and you know like even in kindergarten kids were saying why are you so quiet and it's just well because I am like that's (laughs) that's the way I am like I don't feel like moving my mouth for the sake of moving my mouth like I only say something when I want to say something and um, I'm an, I'm an observer. Like I prefer observing rather than like being in the center of something. So I guess it was that experience because throughout my whole school schooling, to me, I felt like a caged bird, I guess. And it wasn't actually until I went to university because that was a choice I made. And I actually moved out of home when I was 18 and um, that I finally felt free. Like, you know, I, you know, I made friends on my terms instead of because they were lumped into, you know, um, a classroom with me. You know, I, I mean, yes, at uni you have, you know, all your different um, lectures which have the same people, but you get to actually choose and they're not necessarily the same age as you. You know, they're mature age students and all that sort of stuff. And it was just it made more sense to me. Like that was kind of more of a real life situation. So that contributed to it. And also I just, um, like I am a paperwork person. I really do like filling out forms. (laughs) (laughs) But But even I found, you know, the stuff they taught you at school, like even it's in high school, I was actually questioned. I started questioning things like, in English, especially, I was just like, why are you giving me this mark? Like, I mean, if I was thinking if someone else marked this, they could give me a totally different mark. So clearly it's very subjective, like your grades that you're giving me, you know, with maths, it's more like, you know, black and white, it's either right or wrong. Um, And I didn't do maths in my final two years. I did four units of English instead and history and society and culture and things like that. So a lot of my subjects were subjective. And so I just started you know, questioning whether that was really beneficial to people. You know, I'm all for constructive feedback because that's how you improve. But I didn't like the grade next to it. Yeah. And so I was like, I didn't want to put my kids through that. So then I decided to homeschool. And so, yeah, we home- we started homeschooling, but then um, Kynan expressed an interest about going to school and 
I think this relates to aware parenting because, you know, you follow your children's, um, you know, I guess, interests and curiosities. And so I was just like, okay. So I found a nice school that only had 90 kids in total. So there was only four classes in the whole school. So each um, class was a combination, you know, of um, the first two years and then, you know, three, four, five, six, et cetera. Um, and so he went there for two and a bit terms, but I noticed at the beginning of last year, which was the last little bit he was there, actually, he started getting really anxious when I drop him off at school. And so I did pay attention because um, he was bullied a little bit the previous year, but I have to hand it to his teacher. She sorted that out that very day and the other boy actually wrote kind of an apology letter. Um, so I was very impressed with that because I know from some friends speaking, bullying just doesn't get dealt with yes. at all. It just gets shoved under the rug. So um, I noticed kind of getting more anxious because he's a bit of a perfectionist. And like I mentioned before, he's highly sensitive. So he gets overstimulated and the school has a big STEM component, especially they like watch a lot of like things like and play games and things, which he was interested in. But I've found by observing him that he gets overstimulated and he can't process it. And so then he becomes aggressive and violent. So it's a, to me, it's a disservice to him because he's just dealing with all this stress about trying to process all this stuff. So the straw that broke that camel's back was um, when I spoke to a year ago, I was actually in Canberra visiting my parents. We drove down and spent two weeks there. And I told yes. his teacher, you know, we're going for two weeks. It was in term. And she said, oh, yeah, that's fine. Why don't you just keep like a journal or a scrapbook of your journey, like where you stop, just collect brochures and kind of can kind of do that. I'm like, yeah, that sounded interesting. He'd like that because, you know, he gets to cut and paste and draw pictures and he can write in there if he wants but then on the day I picked him up from school before we went to leave, his teacher handed me a one-inch pile of worksheets to do. And he was six, six years old. Wow. And I was just like, um, right. So I just took them <laughs> and I took them with me in the car. But I said to kind of listen, if you don't want to do this, you don't have to. I'm willing to have that conversation with your teacher about why you didn't do it. Like we're visiting family. You're learning so much as it is, like you don't need to do them. But so he didn't really do it. He did some here and there. But on the last night we were at my parents, he was so stressed and anxious. He actually went and did the whole inch worth of paperwork because he didn't want to let his teacher down. And I was just like, this is wrong. Like I never even got homework when I was in primary school, let alone you know, this whole ream of paper almost, you know, um, at six years old. So when we got back, that was also when um, COVID happened and the teachers were anxious and the kids were anxious. So I'm just like, oh, I don't want you to be in that anxious environment. So I just pulled him out mm-hmm. um, and I registered him with the homeschooling body up here in Queensland, which is HEU, where we had to do a plan. Um, And yeah, so we're going back to homeschooling and I'm not sending him to school again. And I'd never send Dora to school after that experience. Oops, I think that might be me. Sorry. Yeah, my my knee on the keyboard. <laughs> ding 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 ding. ding. I'm, I, you know me. I like working with messages from life. So I was like, ding ding ding, when you were saying, <laughs> not not sending him back. <laughs> yeah. Ding ding. ding. <laughs> yeah. So he he. Wow. So, yeah, that's been our journey, and um, we don't have home visits in Queensland, which. Oh, don't you? No, we just have to submit a plan every year and then a report of the previous year, like with work samples in it. Um, And they're pretty flexible about what your plan can look like. So I don't really follow the Australian curriculum. I choose a more aware parenting approach and I let Kynan choose his like areas of investigation because they have this interest-driven template. So basically at the beginning of every year, he chooses about four different investigations and then, you know, I spread them out over each subject, like little activities and 
work and stuff we can do. Um, so last year was a bit of a learning curve because he chose the four topics, but a couple of them like ancient Egypt, while they interested him at the beginning when he got there, there was no practical hands-on experience of that. Um, so this year he chose things that are more in alignment with what he's interested in and are more hands-on. So we've just done Australian birds and that was really nice because, you know, if you're doing that at school, you'd be sitting in a classroom looking at a textbook, but we actually went out and bird watched and he kept a bird watching journal oh. and, and it was like so much more in depth. He actually rescued a baby noisy miner that he found on the road and he was like, I don't know, I saw a nurturing side to him that I, you don't see as often. And, you know, he wouldn't have had that in a classroom and that was following his interest and desire in animals and nature, which, you know, isn't a very big component of the Australian curriculum and not a practical component either. Yes. Um, and yeah, and I mean, now we're going on to astronomy with a focus on um, Aboriginal astronomy because, you know, we live in Australia and our stars are very different to, you know, the Northern Hemisphere stars. And so that's also practical. So we go, you know, stargazing oh. at night. And so all these, like, areas of investigation he's chosen. Yes. And then I've just gone and provided resources and opportunities for him. And it and it meets the requirements of the registration too. So, yay! So yeah. yeah. And do you see differences in him compared to when um, he was at school? Are you happy to share? Yeah, I do. So, at school, I mean, um, I think school lets down boys a lot in particular because they need movement. Like there's um, an area of their brain they need to access in order to access like the language component and things where girls can access it all simultaneously. And so he was, was, you know, sat in a desk and told to fill out all these, you know, worksheets and things every day. And cause they had a big component on like coding and programming and everything like that, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, it just overstimulated and overwhelmed him. Yeah. And so he'd be very anxious and then because there was that separation from, you know, what was going on at home while he's away that added some more stress. And so he's, he's calmest when he's outside and in nature. So, you know, when he does um, any type of academic work, like writing or maths or anything, he generally does it sitting outside in the backyard because that's where he's most comfortable and he he doesn't have to sit at a desk he can lie down on the grass or however he wants to do it and he's so much more relaxed and also he's more curious about things because it's things that he's interested in he has a a passion in it and an investment in it and so it makes a big difference than doing something that you're told to do in a way that you're told to do it as opposed to, you know, it just arising naturally. Yeah. Yum. Uh, how, how has it been for you uh, from when he was at school to being with both of them again, like how it was before he went to school and also in COVID time as well? So how's that been? Um, I hated school drop-off and pick-up. Like my days was just interrupted by it. And I hate, and he was given homework from like in Queensland it's called prep not kindergarten and so from prep he was given homework and I just couldn't understand it and I'd always stress because I I didn't want him to do the homework <laughs> so I'm like I'm sending him to school 30 hours a week why does he have to do homework as well um and so I found the whole thing stressful and like I found it I don't know like so disengaging um like it had no relation like uh, before, so he started halfway through the prep, the first level, the first year, sorry. Um, so those first two terms, all these kids had this advantage on him and I didn't learn, teach him how to read or anything, but when he started um, school, he could definitely recognise numbers and he started writing on his own. He, he got out his notepad and paper and actually said, how do you spell this word? Like Australia, for example, or elephant. 
and I'd spell it out to him and he'd actually be able to write it because you don't have to teach a child to read when they want to know how to read. They will teach themselves how to read. Um, And so, yeah, he went to school with, you know, um, a disadvantage to the other kids who had already been there six months. But he, by the end of the first term, he was like in the first level reading group and he was in the highest level maths group. Um, And that might not have necessarily been because he had this innate desire to learn. I think it was because he put all this pressure on him to be perfect. Um, And so it started to show like when he'd come home, he would be quite aggressive and violent and have all these big feelings to release, which was also stressful. Um, And then when I started homeschooling him, I was like this massive weight had lifted off both our shoulders and I actually love his areas of investigation. I don't influence them at all. Like, you know, I might make some suggestions based on what I observe him reading or what he's watching or something like that or what he says, but I never say, oh, let's do this. Um, So it was, so I'm learning, I find I'm learning so much more than I learnt at school. Yes, everything's so much more in depth and it's actually in the real world, not in a classroom. So I actually really love it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I'm so with you on that. (laughs) Oh, yum. You know, I'd love to go back. You talked about uh, him being highly sensitive and you being highly sensitive. And, um, you know, I, I love, you know, it was Alika Salter who introduced me to the, the work of Elena on and the whole highly sensitive child and adult stuff, which has been so helpful. And you know, I'm thinking as you were speaking that that's often common, isn't it, in highly sensitive children to be, you know, more, uh, more kind of wanting to please or more being, you know, if it's a teacher, for example, like really being deeply affected by marks or judgments or you know expectations that they're you know, often much more affected by that so uh, does that resonate for you as well yeah um it does like you know at school I would push myself to um get the grade like I always try to do my best in everything but I'd always stress about what grade I would get which would defeat the purpose of actually to me you know writing about something because you're always focused on the outcome instead of like on the process it takes to get there and on the process of becoming better at, you know, um, whatever it is that you're doing. And so, yeah, I, um, I didn't like that aspect of school. And yeah. I know because um, I'm also an early childhood educator, I run my own family daycare and I remember because you have to do a certificate three or diploma in early childhood education and care. So I've done my diploma and it's, you're either satisfactory or not satisfactory. There's like no grades <laughs> and it was so different. And I remember because of it, I actually had the courage to write responses that wasn't necessarily in alignment with what they wanted to see. So I actually incorporated a lot of aware parenting into my responses um, in a way that was, you know, that answered the question and, you know, that was logical and that had evidence and everything with it. Um, but I, I no longer felt the need to write to please someone else. I was writing because I was like, well, this is my answer. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. Hey, such a relief, hey, to be mm. be free to do that. Mm. The other thing about highly sensitive um, adults or parents and children is I often find as well, like, of course, uh, wear printing draws all people of all kinds and I have noticed in particular do seem to be uh, like a higher percentage of people who either are highly sensitive themselves as parents, one or both of the parents um, and and often the child or children, at least one of them, that seems to be, you know, because highly sensitive people generally are more overwhelmed by things and tend to cry more easily and are more affected by things. I often think that they find find their way to where parenting more easily or quickly. Do you have that sense as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, um, my husband and I have both done the um, little quiz at the beginning of the highly sensitive person and we're both highly sensitive I think there was only two things that we 
like or something so we're like very highly sensitive um and you know Kynan's highly sensitive and even Oren's highly sensitive like you know he um I think he more internalizes things though like my husband and I do where Kynan externalizes things so it's easier to see like easily to visually see when um things are going downhill for Kynan is because the the house will like become like a target for you know all his feelings um where you know the other three of us we like we kind of withdraw and we retreat um so yeah it's interesting having that dynamic because at first like when kind of was of an age where you know he expressed all this outwards like my husband and I were like you don't know what to do. Like, what is this? Like, he was the type of child I would avoid when I was a child. <laughs> and then I have one living in my house. <laughs> so, so all I wanted to do was retreat. I just wanted to go in the wardrobe and lock myself in there. Um, but aware parenting got me through that because, you know, Aletha has all these um, ideas about like attachment play in her book, which is amazing. And like that was the biggest challenge I think with aware parenting was the play part because my husband and I didn't have that type of play you know like I had a really good childhood like we'd play board games all the time and go on picnics and we'd you know play touch footy and stuff as a family and go on like family holidays um and that was all good but it wasn't like the type of play that Aletha talks about um so that was like a really big challenge like just being silly um but that actually helped kind of get through and it helped us get through like all these like bigger aggressive feelings that you know my husband and I just wanted to shrink away from (laughs) do you have a sense too about being highly sensitive also um tending to be a little bit more serious and not quite so into the big ebullient play as well as you know of course having that capacity but that's also another observation that I've I've had yeah. adults and children you know of course most of us will lose that because we didn't get played within that way but I also have that sense that yeah there's a you know just because of that reticence and that wanting to observe and all those things that mm. often be not such a, a forte yeah that definitely resonates I mean you know I don't like being in the center of things so these you know when you play with your kids you are in the center of it <laughs> you know you're you're like the battering ram or the horse that gets ridden around or whatever your child decides that you are in that particular moment. You just kind of have to go with it. And that's what, you know, we bring to our family daycare as well. And that's put us out of our comfort zone too, because it's very different doing it with your own children to doing it with children in your care. Yeah. Yeah. So that takes it to a whole new level of discomfort sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) so I'd love to talk a bit more about uh, aware parenting and homeschooling together Mm -hmm. how do you see they fit what have you enjoyed about doing both together I know you've got Mm. some lovely notes as well so I'd love to hear what you yeah well I mean um you know Elisa talks about or the does that children are born with the desire to learn and you know and that children you know self-initiate that learning and you know with homeschooling that's what we do like I have seen Kynan's like curiosity and his sense of wonder and awe in homeschooling which was very absent when he was at school because he wasn't given that opportunity to discover things on his own he was always told what to do and when to do it and so I think you know, I mean, sometimes you might have good teachers at school. I'm not like bad mouthing schools. Um, but, you know, there are teachers out there who, you know, allow their students to like discover things. There's an alternative school here in Toowoomba that, you know, is very much into natural learning. And they wait for their students to come in with stuff and then they kind of tick that off the curriculum, see where they can like, you know, weave it in. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah and so, you know, um, I love how, you know, Aletha has that, you know, trust in um, kids and that they'll learn what they want to learn when they want to learn and you don't have to rush it. Like, 
you know, in schools and society, there's always, you know, this rush to get to some finish line and these standardized tests and all this type of stuff, which just seem to cause more issues than not. Um, you know, they add stress and anxiety and um, they don't trust the child. And if, you know, you can't, if a teacher and the education system can't trust a child, how will they learn to trust themselves? And so that's what I really love about aware parenting is that, um, that deep trust that you have for your child, but also for yourself, because, you know, you're the homeschooling parent. So you have to also trust yourself that what you're doing is, you know, um, I don't want to say the word right, that what you're doing, like, you know, is in the best service for your child and also yourself. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. They go really well together, don't they? That, that yeah. deep trust. I mean, where parenting is so based on that, isn't it? That deep trust in children and trusting their timing and trusting that they know how to, well, you know, everything, you know, how to learn and how to heal and how to, you know, what to, what to eat and when and all the things. It's such a core part of aware parenting, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I also, you know, um, that whole play thing too, going back to play, <laughs> um, like, you know, I've seen that kind and learns much better through play. You know, it's one thing for him to read, like, I don't know about an Australian bird in a book, but it's a whole other thing for him to go see it. And then he, he also role plays with what he's learning, which is, you know, a component of play. And then he takes that play because we run a family daycare. So he's obviously around younger kids. He takes that to the family daycare setting. And um, because play is a big component of that, um, because, you know, the kids are so much younger, he's still involved in that. Like, you know, he's not separated from it. He's still like very much in that play as a, like a central part of learning. Yeah. And um yeah, so it's just amazing to watch and, you know, learning through experience. Like Alith is very big on learning through experience, you know, like the hot stove yes. thing. You, know, you could tell your child 20 times not to touch the stove because it's hot, but they won't know what that means unless they touch it themselves. And, um, you know, we kind of goes and climbs trees and he's really into camping. Like he'll go camping in the backyard and it's something that we don't say, oh, you can't camp in the backyard. You're only seven years old. We're like, oh yeah, go for it. <laughs> and so he's, he's discovered possums out there and he's discovered he doesn't like the possums. <laughs> and so there's all these elements that he's discovering because he's experiencing them himself. He like, he has um, these hands-on experiences which get added to his knowledge so they form a more whole way of learning instead of you know just reading something or watching something on the tv it's very different yeah. and children i find uh um, more kinesthetic learners or so they have to actually do things with their hands and stuff and so you know we bring that aspect in you know with in our daycare, for example, um, we made a little campfire in like a little stainless steel bowl because the kids were showing interest in toasting marshmallows because they were role playing, making a tent inside. Mm. And so we thought, oh, why not give them a real experience? Because how are kids going to learn about fire safety if you just tell them like they have nothing concrete to compare it to? So, you know, you do it in a safe, contained way. And then they have the experience of the fires burning that marshmallow. So imagine what it can do to my skin if, you know, I go too close. Yes. And so that's another thing that Aletha has in her principles of learning is that concrete experiences before, you know, abstract thinking, you know, kids, especially younger kids. Because in my, um, when I do consultations with aware parenting clients, it's more the younger years because I work with the younger years. Yeah. So, um, you know, I generally work in the concrete stage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> concrete operations, Piaget. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm. Dang. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, going back to allowing kids to release their emotions instead of saying, you know, just get on with it or stop being silly and, you know, kids get a lot of frustration and anxiety when they're learning 
as anyone does, like even adults, when you learn something new or start a new job, you feel anxious because you're like, I can't do this. And then you feel frustrated. And so kids obviously experience more because, you know, so much is newer to them than adults Mm. and allowing kids to release that frustration, you know, through play or through empathy, um, is like really important for their learning because they can't learn properly if, you know, their emotions are in control. Yeah. So just, you know, allowing them to feel that frustration. Oh, I see that maths problem's really hard for you and it must be so frustrating because you just want to solve it, but it's you just can't get there right now. And, you know, just sitting there with that and, or, you know, if it's too in that moment then you you know you turn it into play like oh, let's have a break what you know what would you like to do and you know um instead of you know forcing a child to sit there and do it until they've done it you know just saying okay let's go do something else what would you like to do and just offering that choice that you know you don't have to do that in the moment you know like kind of chooses when he wants to do his you know kind of like maths and english which has to be in his plan um, it always is in relation to his investigation, so it's always of interest, but he chooses when during the day he does it. You know, so sometimes he does it in the morning, sometimes just before bed. Like, you know, we're very flexible on that because I know I don't being, like being told you have to do this, like, right now. <laughs> so, yeah, he has... Most of us don't do it, I don't think. <laughs> no, and... And so, you know, he learns a lot better and he is less frustrated when he does it in his own time as opposed to having, you know, all these deadlines and stuff. So, yeah, that's how, you know, certain aspects of aware parenting work into um, how we homeschool. Mm, I love all of those. So yummy. Uh, so a question I've been asking people is if you were to go, if you could time travel back to a younger part of you in your parenting and or homeschooling journey, is there anything that you'd love to go back and like give loving support or, um, reassurance around or think something you'd like to say to those younger parts of you? Um, I think at the beginning when we were homeschooling, it was difficult to get out of this sense of traditional education or traditional schooling because to me schooling and education are two different things um about you know that kind of could do things in his own way and that I didn't have to follow the Australian curriculum to the T and um so I guess I would tell myself back then to just relax and to listen to Kine and and to follow what his interests are because when you do that, things just like fall into place and that it's everything's just so easy and it's so easy to the point that you actually enjoy what your child is learning too. Yeah. I so resonate with that. I, I just have so many memories of my lovelies being into things and I'm oh yeah, and going down all these tracks and learning all these different things and just so much. And as you said as well, I often found, found learning that I learned things in a much deeper way, like things like the, the cosmos and the earth and how it all fits together. I didn't ever get that from school. I never really understood that whole the earth and the sun and the moon and the planets didn't. I just, it's like a flat surface thing to me in, in those days. So yeah, I love how you share that. Um, if anybody is listening to this who's perhaps into aware parenting already, uh, maybe thinking about homeschooling but not sure or would love some encouragement or reassurance, is there anything that you'd love to offer them? Um, yeah, I would just say to trust yourself and to trust your child. Like it might, well, not might, it probably will be hard to begin with because, you know, you have all these preconceived ideas and the way, you know, you were raised and you were schooled. But if you just go with the flow, even if you have to like just take a step back and just do no type of schooling for a while to just, you know, let yourself and your child breathe and have some space from that, you know, that space can create, you know, so much more opportunity. And if you, you know, you use like some aware parenting principles, like play and things, you'll get to see what your child's interested in. You'll form that connection. Cause I think the biggest part of homeschooling 
isn't necessarily what your child's learning, but the connection that you both have. Because when you have a really strong connection, you're more likely to trust each other and, you know, be that supportive person instead of, you know, hitting all this resistance. So, yeah, yeah I think just... Um, just take the step really. Like I, I'm a, I'm a doer. So <laughs> I, I just go and do it. Everyone asks me, Oh, how do you do all this stuff? I'm like, I just do it. <laughs> like I don't have a process. I just like, I, I need to do this. And then I just do it. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I love that. So just, yeah. Just trust yourself and know that it'll all work out. You know, there might be some kinks in the beginning and definitely some kinks when, as you're going through and, but you know, it's a learning experience that you're both on. It's not, you know, you know, in this situation, I don't think you're above your child. Like, you know, um, when you become a parent, parents put so much pressure on themselves and it can be the same for a homeschooling parent too, that they have to get it right first time. But I think we forget that not only are our children new to the world or our children are new to homeschooling, but we're new to being parents and we're new to homeschooling as well. So if you just take your child's hand and just go together, mm. everything will work out. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> I love that. It's like, a, yeah, you can just imagine it. I'm like, yep, take your child's hand. It's walking together. Yeah. So yummy. Uh, is there anything else that you want to say that you haven't said so far before I ask you how people can contact you? No, I, I feel like I've, <laughs> I've talked quite a lot. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm pretty good. Okay. I, I've, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything else that I have that we haven't already discussed. <laughs> I love, you know, I know we've known each other for many years, but I love that every time I talk to her, I learn new things. And particularly to today, I've really seen this, so many similarities in our journey and our experience. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Okay, uh, so tell us what you're doing at the moment, what offerings you've got, how can people contact you, all of those kinds of things. Okay, so um, as well as being an aware parenting instructor, which I do more specialise in helping parents with children from like toddlers to about seven or eight, like early childhood. Um, I'm also a early childhood educator and run my own family daycare, which um, aware parenting is central to that. Um, and you can find me on Instagram and my handle for that is at spirited hearts underscore natural learning. So my business is spirited hearts, natural learning um, where I don't just do family daycare stuff. It's also about a homeschooling journey as well. Hence why, you know, we've used the term natural learning at the end there. Um, and then our website is, cause my husband does it with me. I should, I should say that. Um, he's also an educator. We own the business together. <laughs> um, our website is spiritedhearts.net. And I am on Facebook too at Spirited Hearts Natural Learning, which I don't really post anything different there to Instagram. I kind of just share my Instagram posts to Facebook. Right. But yeah, that's where you can find me on my website or Instagram mainly. Yeah. Hey. And for people who are in the local area, are you happy to say a little bit more about the the um, the the daycare slash um, natural learning? Like what are you supporting mm -hmm. families who are particularly wanting to do natural learning? Do you want to say a bit more about that? Yeah, so um, we run a bush kindy. In, which happens with our family daycare. So for those that don't know, we basically go out into a bush, which we have a really nice bush in walking distance. So I take the kids there every week. And um, so it, our philosophy, you know, covers aware parenting. Every aspect of aware parenting is there. Um, we are very child-directed. So we wait for the children to come in every day. And then whatever interests them, we're just like, okay, We'll do that. Um, and so we have all these resources and op opportunities available to meet that interest. So um, we're a bit different to a lot of centres and things that have a program already written out. Like we literally wait to kids walk through the door because, you know, you'll have something planned and then the kids like come in with something so much more awesome. Yes. So, so we go with that. Yes. And so, yeah, uh, and it's, 
play-based like we have a lot of unstructured play so you know um my husband Lucas and I we just we kind of just stand back um unless you know the kids want to drag you know drag us into their play but we just watch their play unfold because it's just it's amazing what you learn from children and so yeah it's play-based it's child directed it's got a very big component on um Australia and Aboriginal um, culture embedded in it because you know we we kind of do place-based education you know we're living in Australia so we do a lot of um, you know Australian animals um, Australian plants um, we embed Aboriginal culture and practices in everything it's like we do it in a non-tokenistic way so it's more genuine and it's just kind of like everywhere as opposed to just adding like special little elements throughout it so yeah that's like what we focus on and we really focus on the emotional um aspect as well because we've found that that's not really evident even in early childhood education unfortunately so like we really support the kids like you know through their initial separation anxiety because they all get it and some kids you know that separation anxiety lasts a lot longer so just you know having that space to sit with that child and I hear you miss mommy and I hear you want her back and you're safe here and I'm here until she gets back and you know just having that because we've found that when you listen to you know the children they just settle in so much quickly because they know you they can trust you and then you become like a second home for them and that's what we want to create like a second home and family environment that's really fun and you know follows all that interest because that's you know the way children learn is through their own interests and their own play so yeah oh, I love hearing about what you do it's so amazing I, I love because I think it would be great if you did I think didn't you have an idea about that well back to do like a training for people who do uh, yeah that's that's still on the cards yeah. yep that's definitely on the cards so um, yeah, we'd like to see where parenting, you know, um, in more early childhood education and care settings, because I think that's one of the key missing links. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know from like observing a lot of Facebook pages um, with ed- of educators around Australia, a lot of them have issues with like, oh, what do you do when a child cries too much? Or how do you deal with a child who just you know, won't settle at drop off and, and things like that. And, um, oh, how do you deal with a child who keeps biting? And, you know, so often the heaps of people respond with saying, oh, just exclude them and put them off to the side. I'm like, no, no, don't do that. Um, and so, yeah, I think it would really help educators too, because, you know, aware parenting is very practical. Yeah. Um, it's not, you know, just a theory, like there's practices that you can put into place and so it's easy for any educator to you know pick up you know all these different play ideas and all these different um you know ways to be with a child that really support and nurture them so yeah oh yay well I hope that you do what you're doing just spread out in some way or other to to other places because I think it's so yummy really yeah so deeply acknowledge you and, and what you're doing Oh, thank you. Yay. Well, I so enjoyed it. It's so yummy. Gosh, we need to have another topic to talk about in another year. I'm sure there will be one because it's yeah. yummy. Um, but thank you so much and so much love to you. Oh, thank you. I'm so grateful to talk to you again. Oh, yay. Lots of love. Thank you.